0: Haggai Chapter number One uh, this morning, I want to uh, speak to you on really the theme of Haggai. I know a few years ago your pastor um, he was preaching I think on Wednesday nights an overview of the minor prophets and i don 't know how much he got really in the specifics, but Haggai is actually a, uh, a book made up of four sermons, four messages uh, from the prophet uh, Haggai and uh, or haggai i 'm from the South we say Haggai, you may be from the north and say Haggai. Uh, but uh, I'll probably go back and forth. But um, Haggai uh, is the second shortest book uh, in uh, the Bible. And, uh, and this morning, uh, I'm not going to go over all four messages. I'm just going to focus in on the very first message found in chapter one this morning. So let me ask you a question as we kind of get things off. How many of you had a great weekend? Kind of weird weekend, the fourth was on Thursday. How many of you had off on Friday? How many you had off yesterday? How many of you don't know where you're at? <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and so uh, think about this statement for a moment. Maybe you've used this statement before in your life uh, in, in some capacity, and it's the little phrase, "It's time." It's time." For instance, some of you are going, "It is time for a vacation." Amen. Some of you just got back from vacation, and what are you saying? It's time for another vacation from the vacation. Uh, Maybe maybe you've used it where, you know, uh, it's time to eat. Uh, When we're done here, some of you are going to be saying, it's time to eat. Maybe you said to your children, it's time for bed. And so you're you're catching on. And, And so we use this phrase, it's time, and... In many ways and in, in, in many capacities, but here in Haggai, we're going to see that this little phrase is also used in a different way and uh, and, and maybe in a, in a introspective manner. Uh, a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle said this about this little phrase: "It's time." He says, "So often, you can wake up in a certain stage of life and have this real." unsettling and sinking feeling you think by the uh, by this point in life that you expected more i you, you may have thought by this time in life that you would have, you would have reached uh, whatever it is that you want to reach uh, that there'd be something different or something better about your life and he, and he goes on to say i'm kind of surprised that this is that he is where he is today and So maybe uh, you maybe use that little phrase in that capacity and say, it's time for a job change. Or maybe it's time to get out of debt. Or maybe uh, it's time to uh, uh, reconnect in that relationship that's been broken. Maybe it's time to work on our marriage. Maybe it's time to reach out to that child that's been away. It's time. You see, when you use the phrase in that way, it's time to maybe examine your relationship with the Lord this morning. It's time. Today, we're going to look at this little book, Haggai, who the theme of the book of Haggai is It's Time. It's Time. And, uh, and so what I, what I have to do, and, and this is really the difficult part of, of what I call one-hit wonders. Uh, maybe when it's my turn again, I may come back and finish up Haggai for you. But I need to give you the most of my sermon today is going to be all introduction and then a quick sermon. Uh, but if I just give you the sermon and no introduction, you're going to be totally lost. And I, I don't want that. I think there's, there's a lot of benefit to what's uh, going on in the background of this book uh, for us uh, to understand well, it all starts with a good friend of ours named Solomon. How many know Solomon? Uh, King Solomon is what we know him as. He was the son of who? Now, look, if you participate, I talk faster. Uh, that's just how it goes. All right. So he was the son of who? King David. And uh, and so Solomon, David wanted to build a temple for God, a a dwelling place, a physical dwelling place for God to come and dwell in. And and of course, we know God said no to David because he had what on his hands? He had blood on his hands. So he entrusted uh, this project to Solomon. And so Solomon began to uh, build the temple after he became king. And the Bible tells us that Solomon spent seven years building the temple of God. Isn't that amazing? Seven years to build this temple uh, of God for God uh, to be the to kind of to be the, the mark or the the visible dwelling place of God. And uh, they say it was glorious. They say it was magnificent. Uh, they said that probably it was the, the most uh, stupendous building ever created at the time. And probably in all of history, uh, when you add all the gold and things that were in it. However, on a side note, after Solomon finished God's house for seven years. Solomon then built his house. Took him 14 years to build his own house. I wonder where his priorities were. And uh, I heard someone say, well, he spent 14 years on his house because he had to have a room for every one of his women. But he builds this glorious and grand temple for God. And then as we know about Solomon, Solomon rebels and... He begins to turn to idols and leads the people to to get distracted from God and moves them into idol worship. And the truth is, is there is still so much today that is distracting us away from God as well, isn't there? So in 587 B.C., Babylon, as God promised, Babylon invaded uh, and destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed that temple that Solomon had built. Uh, they had destroyed uh, all the gates and the, the walls around Jerusalem, and uh, and so now uh, Babylon came in, and and uh, I like uh, calling Nebuchadnezzar Neb, so I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk to him as King Neb. King Neb came in and he and he took away captive all of Israel into what we know as the Babylonian. Captivity, And by the way, this was the second invasion because 20 years earlier he invaded the northern kingdom Israel and now he's come down to the southern kingdom to Jerusalem and he's destroyed everything, he's wiped them out and he's brought all of them captive back to Babylon and here's what he told them. Now watch this. He told all the Jews, he says, look, here's the deal. You can live here, you can stay here and we want, we want you to get comfortable here. We want you to marry our daughters. Uh, we, want your, uh, we want our daughters to marry your sons. Uh, we want you to get acclimated uh, into the, to our environment, to our culture, to our way of life. You're uh, kind of like Sukha, my casa, su casa. I mean, that, that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. And, and do you know what the Jews began to do? Just that. They began to be acclimated and and became ingrained into the society of the Babylonian empire, and they began to marry their daughters and marry uh, their sons. And yet, through all this, years passed, and and a new generation was born and raised in exile, and eventually, as we know, as the Bible tells us, that Babylon fell to the uh, Persian empire. And at that time, a man by the name of Cyprus was the ruler, and he wanted peace, at all costs. He wanted peace with all people. So he reversed the Babylonian law and he allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. So when he did that, 50,000 Jews left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem. You say, wow, 50,000, that's really a lot. Uh, Not really. When you're talking a few million Jews, only 50,000 went back. 50,000 went home to find what was left, and when they found their home in 538 BC, all they found was rubble. All they found was destruction. All they found was broken walls and a broken way of life. And yet, when they got there, they had some new neighbors. And maybe you've heard of these neighbors, they're called the Samaritans. And when these Jews showed up, the Samaritans said, Hey, uh, we would love to help you with your project. Can we help you with your project? Now, if you go back to a guy we know named Nehemiah, remember he ran into some issues with these people? And so Nehemiah and Ezra deal, talk about this deal. And, and the Jews said, no, 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 we, we don't, we need your help. We're, we're going to do it God's way. We're going to rebuild his temple. And the Samaritans had an invested interest in this because they didn't worship in Jerusalem. Where did they worship? In Samaria, in the northern kingdom. They didn't want the reestablishment of uh, uh, the place of worship, the new temple anymore. And so they, they were trying to disrupt and, and discourage them from doing this. And as a matter of fact, they actually wrote some letters back uh, to the Persian Empire. And because of that, Cyprus made a decree that the building had to stop. And so the Jews in Jerusalem that went back they stopped building on the temple and went to building their own houses and went to build their own businesses and the places that they had and their families had left behind. This went on for 14 years. Then in 521 BC, Darius took over for Cyprus in the Persian Empire and he removed the ban on rebuilding the temple that Cyprus had put up. But the people, now listen, the people were so consumed and occupied with their own lives, building their own homes and their own futures, they just wanted to enjoy the life that they had created for the last 14 years. So God raised up two prophets, a man by the name of Haggai, and a man by the name of Zachariah. And here's what their message was. It's time. It's time. Can I just take a, what I call a divine time out for a moment? Would you look around our country? We celebrated the 4th of July this past week. You look at our country. Some of you are older in life. Some of us are still younger in life. Even at my age, I've seen how America's changed and you look at our nation, would you say it's time? It's time. But can I take it a step further than that, make it a little more personal? How about your own life today? Is it time for you to make some changes in your life? Is it time for you to step back and look, how much time have I wasted on things? that don't build the kingdom of God. Can I say to you, church, this morning, it's time. It's time. If I had to put my sermon in a sentence, which I try to do when I give a message, it would simply be this. It's time to choose the hard over the easy. It's time to choose the hard over the easy. Look at Haggai. You've got the background And it's in this background that I just mentioned about Darius that Haggai receives a message from the Lord right here in chapter 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatil, governor of Judah. So Haggai's the prophet, Zerubbabel's the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. So you have a prophet, you have a governor, and you have a high priest. And here's the message of the Lord. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people. Would you stop right there and look this way? Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay this morning. We're not picking on you. But you that are familiar with the Bible, when God would address his people, or when God would talk about the Jews and especially the Old Testament, would he not always say my people? Would he not always refer to it as something in the personal possession of his people? But notice here his message to Haggai. How, what, what does he refer the, to them as? This people. Why would he say this people? Because there is a breakdown between them and God. So he says this people... The time, this people say, here's what the people are saying. The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses. And this house lie waste. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts... Consider your ways. If you mark in your Bible, underline that three words. Consider your ways. We're going to come back to that. Verse 6, Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. Ye, uh, uh, he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put them in a bag with holes. Now, when I say it's time to choose the hard over the easy, what do I mean by that? Well, let's dig into these verses real quickly, and here's the message part. Number one, I want you to see in verse 5 that it's time to take a personal inventory. It's time to take a personal inventory. John Phillips, uh, commentator, said this about Haggai's message was that it was to wake up a people sunk in spiritual apathy towards uh, towards what are true spiritual values. You see, these uh, 50,000 had become comfortable. They had become spiritually apathetic. How do you know that? Well, we talked about only 50,000 came. Listen to this. There are 24 different... Orders of the priesthood, only four returned. Of the Levites, all of the Levites that were in Babylon, only 74 came back to the temple. Would you say there may be some spiritual apathy going on among the people? Something was spiritually wrong. Haggai's message to them was, it's time to take a look at yourself. Now why, look at these verses with me, why Why was there a need for them to take personal inventory? Well, look at verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Here's what they said. Ah, uh, no, we're, we're good. We're good. We're, we're fine just like we are. Can I describe what verse 2 is saying? They're indifferent. They don't care. They don't care about spiritual things. They don't care about the temple of God. They don't, Do you know in, in 14 years, this is in message 2, but in 14 years, all they were able to accomplish was lay a foundation. In 14 years. Do you know most of you, if you hired a builder and all he did was a foundation in 14 years, you'd probably fire him. That's all they accomplished. Why? Because they were indifferent. They had a I don't care attitude. They didn't care about the things of God. They didn't care about the temple of God. What did they care about? They cared about their own houses. They cared about their their own way of living and doing life. They only cared about themselves. But number two, not only were they indifferent, but look at verse four. It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. Number two, they were distracted. It's interesting. In verse four, it says, ye dwell in your... Sealed houses. Now the word sealed there is interesting. It would be the equivalent to paneling. How many of you bought a house had paneling in the house? Remember that old brown paneling? The, my first church I pastored in North Carolina, they had a parsonage. And I'd never seen this before. I went in there and they had gray ash paneling. Never saw it before. Uh, Maybe this this idea of sealed is a is a paneling, or or maybe uh, you would we we would note it maybe as wainscoting. You say, what is that? It's decorative. It's not necessary. You see, they were distracted by decorating, by decoration. They were distracted from what God wanted to do because they wanted to make everything else prettier in their life. Now, I'm not against pretty. I have a wife. And she likes to decorate, just like most of you women probably do as well. Pastor talked about it. You paint a room and now you've got to get new furniture, new blinds, new curtains, new carpet. There's nothing wrong with decorating But this decorating distracted them from what God wanted them to do. They were indifferent. They were distracted. But look at verse 6. Ye have sown much, and you what? Bring in little. Ye eat, but you have what? Not enough. Remember I said if you talk back, we go faster. Ye drink, but you're what? You're not filled with drink. You're clothed, but you're not... You're not warm. You earn wages and you put them in a sock that has holes. Socks in the Hebrew, by the way. What is he saying to them? Here's what he's saying. He says, you're disillusioned. You're indifferent. You don't care. You're distracted. And you're disillusioned. He says, you think you work, you're working so hard trying to earn money. You're working so hard and you you try to earn more money and more money and more money. Because we think if I could just get that next better job, if I could just get the next better house, if I could just get the house I'm going to have for retirement, if I could just get the cars they're going to have for retirement and they get distracted and they get indifferent and then they become disillusioned because here's the disillusionment. It's never enough. It's never enough. He says, you're eating and you're never full. Can I say to you in in about 25 minutes, some of you are going to go to a restaurant, pastor and I will, and we're going to eat. And this amazing thing happens about six o'clock. We're hungry again. Why? Because we're never full. I've got a water bottle in my car with alkaline water that this doctor told me I have to drink. And I'll drink, a, I'll drink some of it when I get there. But you know what's going to happen 15 minutes later? I'll drink more. See, we're a delusion. And, and please, don't take this the wrong way. Don't get offended. I'm as patriotic as they come. But our churches today have more American Christians than Bible Christians. And we, as American Christians, have become disillusioned by the American dream. Listen, please, church, listen to me. There is no such thing as the American dream in the Bible. It's not there. You can't find it. And we are disillusioning ourselves. And and this disillusionment has, has caused us to become distracted. And this distractedness... Has, becau- has caused us to become indifferent. And we don't care. I told you we'd come back to verse number five. Here's the message. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, say it with me, consider your ways. That word consider simply means this take a deep look inward. Take a deep look inward. Take a, if I can say it this way, take a personal inventory of your own heart and life this morning. Are you living in or are you filled with spiritual indifference and apathy today? What's distracting you, church? What are you giving your attention to? What are you giving your time to? Oh, I know we're here this morning on Sunday morning, and, and it's a special day and special times. But uh, what, what about other church kingdom-building projects that we're doing here? Can I just throw one out? And Pastor didn't tell me to say this. He, he, got, he's, he got so upset he's leaving. <clears throat> See, that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. They didn't tell me, Tyler didn't tell me to say this. What about VBS? If I was to ask Tyler right now, Tyler, do you need more help for VBS? Without hesitation, I know what his head would be. His head would go. But you know what happens in life? We get distracted. We get indifferent. We say things like, well, you know what? I did VBS for 15 years. Somebody else can do it now. See, that's apathy. That's indifference. And it's time to take a personal inventory of our heart and life. God, where am I at right now? Where am I at right now? It's time. It's time to choose the hard over the easy. It is hard to look inward. It's hard. Hey, it's easy to look at someone else. Well, you know what? They haven't been at VBS for five years. About the time they stepped up and helped. It's easy to say that, isn't it? It's hard to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Do you want me to be there? Do you want me to help, participate, be a part? See, it's time to take personal inventory. That was the message of Haggai. Number two, verses 7 through 11. It's time to take personal responsibility. Look at verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. There it is again. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, it did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew... And the earth is stayed from her fruit, and I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, and the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labors of their hands. It's time for personal time to take personal responsibility. Haggai calls for self-examination and perspective. You see, the Lord here in these verses gives clear and decisive instructions for them to take personal responsibility. And I want you to see something. Now, in our our type of church, we use a word that means take personal responsibility. It's the word repentance. It's the word repentance. Repentance. That means I'm, I'm going to do something different than the way I have been doing it. Now notice what, he's, what he says in verse number 8. What he's about to tell them to do is going to be hard. Go up to the what? To the mountain. You ever climbed a mountain? I did. In Mexico, where my in-laws were missionaries my father-in-law had this bright idea that he would take his son-in-laws up into a volcano. Where they lived in Toluca was already a mile high like Denver. And now we're going to go up into a volcano. So we walked around it the first time to get inside. No problem. It was okay. Air was thin, but I was good. Then my brother-in-laws had this idea, well, instead of going back out, we'll just climb over the top and down the side. I'm 22 years old, no problem. I took 10 steps, we all stopped and we're sucking wind. 10 more steps, stopped, we started eating snow. Couldn't breathe, couldn't walk. It was, say it with me, hard. Look at what God tells them to do. Go up to the mountain and do what? Bring wood. Listen, they didn't have big old trucks. They didn't have no f one hundred and fifty back then. Oh, listen, they may, have had, they may have had two donkeys or a camel. What he was telling them to do was hard. Go up to the mountain cut down, listen, nobody was cutting trees for them, they had to cut them down. They had to cut the trees down, they had to drag them back down the mountain, and once they got back down the mountain, they had to start building the temple. And notice what he said in the end of verse 8. And I will do what? Take pleasure and I will be what? Glorified. Glorified. You see, when you and I choose to do what is hard, which is take personal responsibility, God gets the glory. See, what God wants out of your life and what God wants out of my life is He wants the glory. Isaiah 42 verse 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give another, neither my praise to graven images. Do you know why he wanted his temple rebuilt? Is because it was where his glory would be. That's where his physical presence would be. Church, listen to me. Are we building temples today? No. Who is the temple of God? You and I. See, God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands anymore. Corinthians says we are the temple of God. And where does, where, watch this, watch. Where is God going to get the most glory from today? Right here. Right here. So what should I be doing? I should be doing the hard work. I should be doing the hard spiritual work in my life to make sure there is nothing in the way, there's no distractions, there's no apathy, there's no indifference that everything in my life is where it should be so that I can glad and watch this I can gladly reflect an accurate picture back to God of who he is. That's the glory of God. We give glory to God when we accurately in our lives reflect back to Him and to others an accurate picture of God. And if there's anything in my life that is not giving an accurate picture of God, then it's time to do the hard work. It's time to go up the mountain and do the hard work. You see, because even though it's hard... Here's what you need to know. And we don't have time. But in verses 9 through 11, he tells us there's no blessing for the easy way. He told him in verse 11, I've caused the drought. I've kept the dew. I've kept the blessings from you. You see, when we take the easy way in the Christian life, that's not the blessed way. It's not the blessed way. So how do you know that, pastor? Listen, here's what Jesus says. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does that sound easy? No, it's hard. Following, listen, can I say this, and I don't mean this disrespectfully. Following Jesus isn't for sissies. If someone told you that when you get saved and follow Jesus, oh, life is going to be a bed of roses, they lied to you. It's not easy. And, the, and listen, the hard part is not living it in front of others. The hard part is living it in the closet. The hard part is living when no one else is looking. The hard part is looking into myself and saying, God, what is there that should not be there? And what do I need to repent and turn from in my life? That's the hard. Let me give you this last thing and I'm done. We see, number one, you must choose the hard over the easy by taking personal inventory, by taking personal responsibility through repentance. And then lastly, it's time to catch our second breath. How do I choose the hard over the easy? By catching our second breath. Do you know what a second breath is? I I played sports, I played football, basketball. The second breath was when you you felt like you couldn't go anymore. And then all of a sudden you kept pushing yourself and pushing yourself. And you got what we called a second wind. It was like a, whoo, now I can keep going. I can keep pushing. I can can keep moving forward. In verses 12 through 15, the people catch their second breath. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelateel, and Joshua, the son of Josedech the high priest with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord their God that the Lord her God has sent them and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am the Lord, I am with you, saith the Lord. And watch this, verse 14. And the Lord did what? stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shelatil governor of Judah and the spirit of Joshua the son of Jositech the high priest and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and did the work in the house of the Lord their God what happened they got a second wind they got a second wind and someone said it earlier they got a revival listen watch the progression they realized they were indifferent apathetic they didn't care. They saw they needed to take a personal inventory and repent of what they've been doing. And when they did, and the Bible says in verse 12, when they obeyed, the Spirit of God came and stirred them up. And they got excited once again. And they started putting up walls and repairing the foundation and building the house of God, doing the work of God. Church. Church. Wouldn't it be great for the Spirit of God to stir us up once again? God gives them a message. They listened to His word. They responded to the message with obedience. And then they received a new internal motivation. These people were affected emotionally. Mentally as well as spiritually, they were stirred. You know what church, you know what we need? To consider our ways. To look deep inside. See, I've I, I pastored, been in ministry 22 years as long as your pastor has. I've been in every church you can imagine. I've seen it. I have literally seen it all. And what the church does not need is something new. Now don't get me wrong. I'm I'm for for technology. I'm not talking about that. We don't need a new message. We don't, we, don't, we don't need really a new method. What we first need above and all else is we need a stirring of the Spirit of God again. And I'm telling you, church, listen to me. The man who stands here week after week, it's not his job to stir you. Now listen to me. And he walked out, and he's probably listening now, it's okay. I read, I heard a quote this week and I want to help you because I want to help your pastor. Many people in churches today think that it's the responsibility of the pastor to keep the fire burning within him so that others can come and get warm. And listen to me, you will put that fire out. If you try to get warm from him. It's your job to have your own fire. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that stirs that fire. And he says, and as he stirs the fire in you, he'll stir the fire in him. And when his fire is stirred, and your fire is stirred the kingdom of God work begins to be built. Wouldn't you like to see that? I would. Here's what it takes. Choosing the hard over the easy.